Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 223. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. The future is here. Good and bad. From AI and climate change to self-driving cars and a faster brand of Major League Baseball, the future is now. And that includes politics. The future is here. And the future is most definitely a time to stay vigilant. You see, to anyone who doubts that politics can be disrupted, reformed, and transformed into a hopeful experience, tonight is for you. To the citizen who has lost hope in this great experiment and a dream of our founders, what we call the United States of America, tonight is for you. To one in this room who is in utter disbelief that Republicans and Democrats and independents can work together. Can find common ground, maybe even like each other. Tonight is for you. That's the voice of Yemi Mobilade, the newly elected independent mayor of Colorado Springs. And Yemi represents the future. He's done it. To all of you who say independence will only be spoilers, to all of you who say independence can't win, I introduce you to Mayor Yemi Mobilade, the new independent mayor of Colorado Springs. Yemi is an unaffiliated, first-time candidate who beat veteran Republican politician Wayne Williams by double digits in the city's runoff race. He's a Nigerian immigrant who upended the board in a once-reliably right-leaning city that's been moving more and more toward the center in recent elections. Yemi Mobilade is our proof of concept. Yemi shows we can win. Independence can win, and we can win often where Democrats have no chance. And I've been telling you that independents are the future of American politics. And in Colorado, that future is here. That future is now. 49% of Americans are independent, and we are the future. So leave the herds, folks, if you haven't already. Declare your independence. Be a part of the future of American politics. The future is here. And in this case, the future is bright. And there's lots to love about the future. All the awesome tech, all the advances in medicine, and the pitch clock in baseball that has finally made Major League Baseball watchable again. But there's also darkness in the future. AI is scary as hell. Listening to Elon Musk talk is even scarier. Climate change is accelerating like in a sci-fi movie. In its annual climate update this week, the World Meteorological Organization reported that between 2023 and 2027, 
there's now a 66% chance that the planet's temperature will climb above 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming. As temperatures jump, there's now a 98% likelihood that at least one of the next five years and the five-year period as a whole will be the warmest for the planet on record. So some aspects of the future may be very dark, or more accurately, very hot. And in some cases, it's just back to the future. Because Trump is back and likely will be the GOP nominee, and he's leading in the polls for president. But as Joe Strummer, the great frontman for The Clash, once said, the future is unwritten. It's being written right now by Trump and Elon and Putin, but also by Yemi and by Zelensky and by our upcoming guest and by you. And when it comes to our politics and therefore the direction of our country and the world, the future is being written by independence. If we seize this moment, if we rise to this moment, if we answer the call, the future is independent, whether it's independent media or independent music or independent films, or independent candidates for mayor. The future will be written by our independent movement. But if you're listening right now, you probably get it. You're ready to help write the future. Because you know, stakes is high. Stakes is high. You know them stakes is high. What you talking about? And I'll go deeper into what that future could look like for Ukraine, Russia, Europe, and the world with our amazing guest coming up. It's a leader who is also writing the future of media. He's bravely left the more traditional media platforms of NPR's Morning Edition and All Things Considered and Vanity Fair and Rolling Stone and the LA Times to launch his own independent new media venture. And he's left the comfortable confines of the United States to report from the front lines of the fight for the future inside Ukraine. And he'll talk to us between air raids about what's happening and what's next. But first, as we explore the wild world of the future, there's a few quick stories from this past week that need your attention and need to be on your radar. Now, the future can be scary, especially if you watch CNN. Last week, I'm watching TV, and I flipped away from the Knicks at halftime with my kids to Trump on CNN. And he's talking about kids in prison. My seven-year-old's eyes went wide with concern, and we were back to the game. Trump talking on television remains unsuitable for children. And CNN remains garbage for platforming him like that. They continue to chase ratings and ad dollars at the expense of our country's best interests. They're not the only ones, but at least last week, they were the biggest culprit. And as a result, our enemies are celebrating. Meanwhile, in the media world, in a blast from the past last week, it was announced that MTV News was dead after 36 years. MTV News. You hear it first. 
Now, you may not have known it was even still going, but it was important. If you grew up in the 80s, like me, it might have been the only place you got your news. MTV News was news for people who didn't watch the news before there was The Daily Show, especially for young people. It was before the internet, and it had some of the best and smartest, not just young people, but all people on TV. Kurt Loder, Tabitha Soren, John Norris, Suchin Pak, Chris Connolly, Allison Stewart, Sway, Gideon Yego, and many others. And I got to know a couple of them and appear on their shows and the shows that they created after MTV. And I partnered with MTV and MTV News on a concert in Times Square and did a lot of work focused on helping vets together. And I got to be good friends with a couple of folks there and even hired a few of them to join our team at Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, including Pete Griffin, who is now the awesome leader of musicians on call. And I hope we'll have my old buddy Gideon Yego on to talk about it at some point soon. And we'll pour a little out for MTV News together. Yeah, MTV News is gone. And so is Vice. Or at least it's bankrupt. Vice wanted to be MTV News, but it never was. Vice was like the Russian army of new media companies that couldn't execute when truly tested. Vice always wandered, full of potential and money and hype. Vice never became a player in the American political media like it hoped to, and it never reached the cultural power and influence of, for example, MTV News. Because MTV News predicted and covered much of the past, and they did much of it from New York City, where lately it's like back to the future for real and looking more and more like the 1980s. Crime is up, stress is high, and so is the sensationalism of the crime. But there are real problems, deep problems. And Mayor Eric Adams, he ain't helping. If you follow me on Twitter, I'm giving you examples all the time. But the latest one, Eric Adams inherited America's leading early childhood education system. And now his depleted education department, where he made cuts, can't even pay the providers. The city is coming up dry on paying nursery schools, pre-Ks, 3Ks, all across the city that can't get their bills paid by the city. This is a disgrace. Now, there are a few people who have been more critical of Bill de Blasio than me, but free public 3 and pre-K that he created is transformative and should be the national standard. My four-year-old is in it right now. And Eric Adams screwing this up is unconscionable. And it's showing how he's quickly becoming Mayor Disaster 2.0. And he's also getting swept up and overwhelmed by a case that has divided America. And one that we have to talk about in greater depth in the weeks to come. It's the Daniel Penny and Jordan Neely subway case. If you haven't seen it for some reason, I don't know how you'd miss it, but Daniel Penny is the man accused of choking subway rider Jordan Neely to death. And recently, he was arrested and released on bond. Now, this is a story that's never going to end. It's like the new Bernie Getz story, which is a true blast from the past. If you weren't around or you don't know that story, in December 1984, Bernie Getz shot four young black guys on a New York City subway train in Manhattan after he said they tried to rob him. All four teenagers survived, although one of them, Daryl Cabey, was paralyzed and suffered brain damage. Bernie Getz fled to Vermont, and he surrendered to cops about a week and a half after the shooting. He was charged with attempted murder, assault, reckless endangerment, and a bunch of firearms offenses. 
A jury eventually found Getz guilty of only one crime, carrying an unlicensed firearm, and acquitted him on the rest of the charges. He ended up serving eight months of a one-year sentence. And in 1986, Cavey obtained a $43 million civil lawsuit against Getz, which is about $75 million in today's money. But Getz was dubbed the subway vigilante. But the case divided America, enraged America, and was a reflection of those times. And I think that this case is like the new Bernie Getz case, a true blast from the past. Now, there's a lot to it. Penny's supposed to be back in court in July, and likely this will eventually go before a jury. We're all still finding out much more about both of these guys and the other folks that were on the train, but Daniel Penny is most notably now a Marine Corps veteran from Long Island. And Jordan Neely was well known for being a subway performer and for having a lot of arrests for doing stuff like punching people in the face in the subway. He'd been arrested dozens of times, including some pretty vicious assaults on subway riders. A couple years ago, he punched a 67-year-old woman in the face as she exited the Bowery Station in the East Village where I used to live. The woman got a broken nose and a fractured orbital. And he once broke another guy's nose in the subway platform in the Broadway Lafayette Station, the same subway stop where he would die four years later. Outreach workers were so familiar with Neely that he was on the city's top 50 list. It's an internal roster kept by the Department of Homeless Services about people living on the street who were most in need of help. He had been in and out of hospitals and jails for years. We're all going to see how this pans out. And I can see many different sides of this. I've worked in homeless shelters and I've worked with the homeless and folks with mental illness for years. And I've also been a veteran on a train who's looking to protect his family. And I think there's one thing that we have to try to appreciate. Nobody yet knows what really happened inside that train. But we're going to find out in the trial. And I'd argue... When you've been around people dying, you might view this case a little bit differently. I will never condone a murder, but I also don't know what happened in the train. I wasn't there, and you weren't either. And that's not the full video that we've seen. I don't think people are right in supporting vigilante justice, and I also don't think they're right in necessarily defending this guy unequivocally. doesn't mean he deserved to be killed, but we don't know what happened on that train. And also... I'll bet most of you probably haven't been on a New York City train in a while. And I know personally, I can kill someone pretty easily, and I think about whether or not I have to do it every time I walk out in the city with my little boys, and even when I'm alone. This city is dangerous. It's not incredibly dangerous, but it is dangerous at times. And in some places, it does feel lawless. That's real. And it's not just New York City. It's San Francisco, it's Chicago, and it's cities and towns across America. And I hope it's not the future. But as it unfolds, we'll try to add light to contrast the heat. And as we do, we can't predict the future. But we sure as hell know we can't count on a divided Washington to fix it. They can't agree on anything. And I think they're shaping up to be the worst performing, least productive, and most divided Congress in history as they continue to fail America now with this debt ceiling fight that shows all of what's wrong with our politics. Democrats and Republicans fighting over a catastrophe of their own making while we all suffer. They'll all hold us all hostage and have us arguing over who gets to pull the trigger. And they squabble and battle over the present and the future while other parts of our government just burn. Because while they're fighting with each other, 
They're not fighting our enemies, and they're not fighting our problems, including big problems that are happening all across our government, including a massive failure inside the Department of Veterans Affairs that I bet you didn't see. Because despite huge failures, VA officials have announced they're extending the contract of Oracle Cerner to continue their electronic health records overhaul after it's turned into a total debacle. Now, this means they're going to have five more years of partnering between the department and the information firm after coming under tremendous scrutiny and spending $16 billion so far. Now, after spending $16 billion, only a few VA sites are even using the new health record system after five years of work. And the rollouts for the future have been postponed indefinitely until key improvements are made. So they've stopped the program almost completely, and they're getting an extension. Only in Washington do you completely botch a $16 billion project for veterans and get rewarded with a new contract. This is a complete failure and a total boondoggle. The Veterans Industrial Complex is alive, well, and growing. And America hardly notices and maybe doesn't even care. Maybe that'll change in the future. One thing is for certain. As we've often examined on this show, veterans, and especially independent veterans, will help shape the future, as has been true for every generation of Americans all the way back to George Washington. And it's true now. And that includes our guest. He's another important, inspiring, and or iconic leader that is shaping what America was, what it is, and what it will be. He's a veteran. He's a journalist. And he's a brave voice of clarity, truth, and reason. He's also an incredible writer. And he deeply understands the past, and he represents the future. He's Tim Mack. Tim Mack is an investigative journalist with a background in politics, national security, and emergency medicine. He's the author of a book about the inner workings of the NRA entitled Misfire, and he's also a former U.S. Army medic and EMT. He's written for Vanity Fair, Rolling Stone, The Daily Beast, Politico, and the L.A. Times. And you probably heard him regularly over the last couple of years on NPR's Morning Edition, All Things Considered, and Politics Podcast. He's reported all around the world in places like Ukraine, South Sudan, Djibouti, Israel, Japan, and Hong Kong. And now he's launched his own new independent media venture called The Counteroffensive. You're going to hear more about it. He graduated as the valedictorian in the Faculty of Arts in his school at McGill University. And he's also got a good eye for sushi and pizza. More on that coming up. The future is unwritten. But it's being written right now by Tim Mack and by all of us. So welcome to the return to the battle for Ukraine from the inside. Welcome to another look at the future of war and the future of media. Welcome to the future. Welcome to Independent Americans, 
episode 223. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, uh, we have been having some very important conversations going back and forth between domestic politics and international relations and the war in Ukraine. And I think the guest right now uh, is going to bring us back to the most important issue facing this world right now, which is the war in Ukraine with a very unique, powerful and personal perspective. It's a man whose work I've admired and appreciated and celebrated for a long time, and I'm very excited about the next chapters of it. Uh, I think he's a, a voice of reason, an incredibly astute uh, watcher, and an inspiration to veterans uh, ar around America and I think probably around the world. Very happy to have on the program the great and powerful Tim Mack is on Independent Americans. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you so much. That that was I, that was a suspiciously meager an under, uh, underrated uh, introduction there. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> your, work, your work is- Could you is, have amped it up a little bit more? I could, I absolutely could have, <laughs> because, but, I'm, but I'm figuring we can get into that now because for folks- I'm who blushing are watching, over here. For yeah. folks who are watching on video, this is very cool. Uh, I'm gonna ask you, Tim, tell us what you're wearing. And I think you're the first guest in the history of independent Americans to have laundry behind you. But with good reason, I said, you know, if you're going to be able to make this, I don't care what you have in the background, but explain no. what you're wearing, if you can. Okay, the name of the game here in both my reporting and in this podcast is authenticity, okay? So, yes, I've got laundry drying. There are no, uh, you know, there are, you know, plenty of washing machines in Ukraine, no uh, dryers. So <laughs> it's all air dried. And, uh, yeah, that's my laundry back there. I mean, I'm living in a in a pretty small apartment with uh, my Ukrainian partner and interpreter, Ross. And so, yeah, this is this is what we got. We've got uh, that. We've got some solar panels over here to charge our batteries. We've got some, some helmets uh, on the couch over there, too. And what are you um, wearing? Can you can you explain what you're wearing? I, I, I am. I'm wearing. I, I know that you're wearing a, a, a St. Javelin T-shirt. Right. So in the in the theme of wearing something fun and on topic, I'm wearing a, a traditional uh, Ukrainian attire called the Vishivanka, and it's 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 very much uh, it's very much a local tradition to wear this during important holidays and events. Uh, and of course, nothing could be more of an important event than appearing on your podcast. <laughs> well, I think the pending or a developing spring offensive might be a more significant event than appearing on my show. But let me ask you, Tim. Uh, we've been in touch for many years, and I'm really grateful to have you on, especially now. I, I want to ground us in a question I ask everybody, which is especially important for you. Where are you, and how are you? Uh, I'm doing good. Um, a little tired. I'm in Kiev, Ukraine right now. The uh, reason I'm a little tired is because of a number of things. Uh, one, I launched a new business. I, I left my, my job at uh, at NPR and started a new publication based out of Ukraine called The Counteroffensive. And you can find it at counteroffensive.news. Um, that's one reason. Another reason is just uh, just more practically speaking, there was a huge uh, missile barrage in Kyiv last night at around three o'clock in the morning. Woke everyone up. It was one actually the one of the biggest barrages in 
in uh, Kiev since the invasion began over a year ago. So it was pretty disruptive. It kind of knocked me out. I was, I'm already kind of jet lagged, right? You know, I'm, I've, I've only been here for about a week uh, and change came from Washington, DC. And, and so uh, it interrupted my sleep a little bit, but I, Hey, I'm, I'm on the mend uh, and we'll press onward. I have no doubt you will press onward. I want to get into the counteroffensive. I want to get into why you've made this transition from more traditional media to this independent venture. Uh, I really want to dig deep on, on your perspective, also as an Army veteran, uh, U.S. Army veteran now now in Ukraine. But let's start with, with, with the breaking news here. What was it like? You posted, this is why I love you being there. You posted audio of what it sounded like on your Twitter page, right? This is what it sounds like right now. And I was, I knew there was a missile barrage happening. And I was like, okay, who do I know and trust that's there? And I was like, all right, Tim Mack is there. And he's going to have something. Sure enough, you were able to kind of put us in your shoes for a couple of minutes there. But can you describe it with more depth and with your powerful uh, journalistic eye? What, what was that missile barrage like last night? And what's it like in Kiev as things start to be culminating around something big? You know, it, it, it's it, it's hard for me to describe. I mean, you, do you know Jason Kander at all? Have you ever chatted yeah. with him about yeah. about uh, you know uh, the experience of being in a in a conflict area or something like that? What one thing that he described in his most recent book was that there's this sort of low level stress that never quite leaves you quite leaves you when you're in a conflict area, whether you're deployed. If you're a U.S. Army veteran, you you did you know rotations into Iraq or Afghanistan, or if you're here in Ukraine, there's always a little bit of danger all the time, and that doesn't really let up. So actually, it's you know it, in this weird way, it's kind of this this perverted way when they, these things actually do happen. It's like oh well, you know even a, a minor sense of relief. It's like okay, this is happening, I can deal with it. It's the not knowing, it's the uncertainty that can really cause a lot of strain and a lot of stress, I think. It's when things aren't happening but might happen. You know, I, as you mentioned, I'm a former U.S. Army combat medic. And, and so, you know, the, 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 the stress of bad things happening and having to do things in response, I feel like I can handle that. It's, it's the every other moment of the tension and the waiting mm. that can really be a strain. And I, I think that, that that's really the best way I would describe what it's like to be in Kiev right now. In a lot of ways, you know, it's sunny, it's spring, there are flowers are blooming, people are out on the street having cups of coffee and things like that. It's a brilliant and, and, and very nice city. Um, but there's, because you could, you could kind of feel the effects of the war dragging on and affecting people's minds, right? The stress that doesn't go away ever um, is inevitably going to have the, this, this real impact this, this oppressive force on the way that people kind of think about their lives and the way they live their lives and, and, and how they feel, whether they're acknowledging it or not. I, I'm so grateful for that description because I think you nailed it. I haven't been to Kiev during the war, but I think that that constant um, feeling of, of stress Right, it is something that folks who've been to conflict zones can relate to, and it doesn't matter if you're a truck driver or you're a Green Beret. You know, it's that general atmosphere that you're living in and operating in that's just cumulative, right? It just keeps kind of kind of weighing on you. Let me let me ask you this, Tim, because I think you're going to be great at this. Um, what's the most important story right now? And obviously, you may not want to talk about something you're reporting on, but America is always consumed by itself. 
I think, you know, some news agencies are going to follow what's happening in Ukraine, but a lot of them kind of lose it and then come and, and maybe they're going to wane until there's a massive offensive where there's lots of images and things to cover. But but what do you think is is the most important story happening right now in Ukraine? Well, I think most people would tell you the counteroffensive and literally my publication is called the counteroffensive. Yeah. So it'd be wise for me to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, I think that the, let me kind of twist the, the question just a little bit to what is the least covered but most important story, yeah. um, if I might, because I think the most important uh, story is the counteroffensive, but I think that leads to maybe a boring answer. I, I, I want to give you an interesting one. And, and um, I think the, the least covered and most interesting story happening in Ukraine right now is this feeling that that society is diverging between the, those who are fighting and those who are not fighting. Um, there is increasing frustration. Just, I, I'm sure a lot of your listeners who are veterans can relate to this issue that, um, that there's a large segment of the population that is in the military right now fighting a war on an ongoing basis. And they're getting very afraid that those who are not have kind of forgotten them, have kind of pushed them aside that this war, which has lasted for well over a year, is becoming kind of normal for a lot of civilians. It's particularly the further away from the front lines you get. And you mean, you mean no. Tim, you mean, you mean Ukrainian civilians? Correct, yeah. Ukrainian so, friction within Ukraine. Not that they're pissed uh, yes. that the French or the Americans aren't watching, but that their own their own countrymen aren't as connected. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're upset that Americans and, 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 and uh, folks from France and fr- folks in the UK are, are starting to tune out in greater numbers, too. But that is to be expected. I think that there's there's almost a sense of betrayal about whether civilians are still paying attention to this war or whether in places further west in the country where it's much safer and where, where they have very rare attacks, uh, whether those folks are just adapting and pretending like there's no war in existence at all. You know, when the war first started, everyone, it was a total mobilization, a civilian and uh, efforts, um, every business in the country mobilized to, to help the war effort. Every person who wanted to, to sign up for the military showed up in long lines at, um, at, at various military facilities. Now, I mean, you can go in um, and have a, pretty nice cocktail in Lviv and, and walk in the park and, and pretend like there's nothing going on in the east of the country where people are fighting and dying every single hour of the day and, and in the night. Um, and I think that there's, there's a sense that, you know, already that uh, among military service members and, and veterans that they might be, they might be left behind. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this phase before this full-scale invasion um, between 2014 and 2022, where there was an ongoing conflict going on in Ukraine, but it was mostly in the east of the country. And a lot of people felt then, a lot of soldiers felt then that that they were kind of forgotten about. And, you know, I'll give you one anecdote. Um, in Kiev recently, I, I had lunch with a, with a soldier yesterday, and uh, he and a convoy of vehicles cut the, a very long gas line in Kiev, right? gas shortages uh, during war and and there are really long lines at the gas station. But they're a military convoy and they have uh, an ability to skip the line, come in, get gas and leave. Um, and as they were leaving, uh, some civilians started yelling at them saying, what gives you the right to, to uh, cut in line? That was the anecdote he gave me to say, look, civilians are just not 
you know, they're just not understanding how serious it, it is for us. And there are some number of civilians who are just not, um, not taking as seriously this war as they were, of course, when Kiev was surrounded and large, like, like at, at, at a previous phase of this mm -hmm. war. Mm -hmm. So, Tim, I want to talk about your, your transition. You're back in Kiev after being there before. And, and you sit at such an interesting intersection because I, I see the conventional American media crumbling. Right. Cable news is kind of imploding. We're seeing massive layoffs and cuts. Vice went bankrupt um, this week. Uh, and it feels like a tectonic shift in, in the media environment. Uh, and at the same time, there is this great pool of talent. Uh, and I consider you, you know, among them. Folks may have remembered your work at NPR and other places. But now, you know, you've made a decision after leaving NPR to launch your own thing and to launch yourself into Ukraine. So can you talk about that? Why did you do it? And what do you hope to achieve? Uh, and, and why is that where you're putting literally your life on the line for? Well, look, I mean, I think there's a number of reasons. Um, selfishly, I, I've always wanted to kind of build something myself um, and use, you know, you know if, you, if you're your own boss, you get to choose the kinds of stories you get to write. This comes with all sorts of risks and it's a really... Uh, it's it, it's a big bet, right? It's 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 a bet that people still care about the war in Ukraine. That there's an audience for the sort of work that I'm doing, but it's it's a bet also on you know the that, that the kind of work that I've been doing, this kind of on the ground, immersive human feature and investigative reporting, is not being well served by other media outlets, and that there is an audience out there that wants to read my kind of writing, like my kind of writing is gonna do much less with what I think is boring a lot of Americans and um, and other folks in the English speaking world in the news coverage. I don't think that there's a ton of interest in, you know, where the front line is exactly today, this unit went there or that unit went there or the latest update from Bakhmut. I wanna write stories that are human interest stories that put you on the ground and, and make you understand what it is like here in Ukraine. Um, you mentioned, you know, my coverage last night on what it sounded like when those when that those missiles came in, right? I I, I mean I, I'm talking about concussive force, the way I could feel it shaking the windows and and just shake me. Um, that car alarms are going off, uh, that you could see these flashes in the sky as anti-aircraft works. Um, you know, like that's the sort of immersive experience that I want to create and provide. And I want to write stories that are interesting on a human level, right? Empathy is is the basis of what. I want to, to provide in this kind of coverage that you can imagine yourself in these places uh, because these characters are familiar to you. Um, that that you know that this woman with the dog who's on the train fleeing Kiev for the western regions of Ukraine, you'd be that kind of person as a dog owner, or someone one of one of your listeners would be that kind of person as a dog owner who would do exactly that, would leave all their earthly possessions behind, but take their dog with them. Or, mm. you know, I mean, we, we did stories about this club in Odessa um, that's a jazz club, and it's owned by a guy who refuses to close the doors of the jazz club. Even though he can't get any money for people to listen to jazz, he's basically turned the, the club into a place where on Saturdays they do free jazz concerts on the balcony for anyone in Odessa who wants to, to, to listen to it, even though there's no electricity in the city. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are the kinds of stories I want to do. I mean, I will still do stories about the war, but I want you to come 
because there are compelling stories about humans, and then it's wrapped in the context of the war, if that makes any sense. That, that's kind of why I wanted to do this. And I think there's, there's not a lot of great coverage in that way. Um, and that's, that's a, a void I hope to fill. It makes total sense. And, and I think there's been an interesting thing that's happened since you've launched this, Tim, is I've watched your fans. And you are a person who has a lot of respect and a lot of admiration and people really love your work. And I'm one of them. Like, you know, if you went to Uganda or you went to Alaska or you went to South Central, wherever you went, I would want to read what you're writing. Right. And the fact that you've chosen to go to Ukraine makes it like a double bottom line for me. Um, and I think that you have a real opportunity to help shape the context of this war and the way other combat reporters have in the past couple of, of iterations. So I think it's also about your talent and about your unique perspective and about even your experience, you know, as a U.S. Army combat medic and, and, and through your eyes. But telling the stories that you are makes me remember that if you asked Americans, like, what are Ukrainians? It's kind of this monolith in the same way they thought about Iraqis or the way they thought about Afghans or the way they think about North Koreans. So for you to put a human face on it and tell those stories of human beings, I think is really what's missing here, because I feel like everyone knows Zelensky and that's kind of it. Right. It's like Zelensky. And maybe they know there's like a an actor over there or a rapper. or They saw, you know, they all kind of look like the same, you know, white guys wearing camouflage who are in the mud. But you're unveiling this other side of them that I think is important. Is there is there a part of the culture, Tim, that you've seen in this work so far? I feel like there was a wave of like stories about grannies, right? Like the grannies who were like throwing tomato soup cans at the at the drones and things like that. But is there a is there an underappreciated um element of the Ukrainian society that you feel like um isn't being shared? Um, I'm saving this, so don't steal okay. this idea, okay? Okay, yeah. When people, when people ask me what's the most uh, surprising thing that I've, I've learned in Ukraine, uh, they, they expect me to say something about weapons or uh, about, you know, military tactics or something. And I say to them, well, you know, a lot of people think that the national food of Ukraine is borscht, the soup. But what it really is, is sushi and pizza. Okay, mm -hmm. and there's this hilarious geopolitical reason for this. Okay, that that you know when they had the revolution uh, about 18 years ago, um, the, a wave of foreign foods came into the country because of the interest in Ukrainians in integrating more deeply into the European Union. Now, sushi and pizza are not the signature foods of the European Union, but uh, you know, and for them, it was something that was new and exciting and interesting, and now. Almost anywhere you go in Ukraine, you can find sushi and pizza together in a restaurant. Uh, it's this, it's this, it's this, this wave of kind of Western influence that's come in here, uh, despite the fact that, of course, sushi is from Asia. And uh, but it, it, look, it's all got it's all lumped in together, and it it, it tells the story of Ukraine's interest in being more tightly integrated with the West. And I, I think it's just such a funny little anecdote to tell because. Well, you know, we're not anywhere near the ocean here. I don't know how That's they get That's what I was going to have to ask you, Tim. I don't, I, mean, I, I mean, you know, I have to look into this. I don't know where they get the sushi. There are no commercial flights into this country. It's got to come in by train or truck or something. I don't know. But I can walk you know, two blocks in any direction to find a sushi place. I guarantee you. I remember and, the uh, days of sushi hitting New York when I was coming up. It was like, 
you know, you weren't supposed to eat sushi on Monday because they didn't make deliveries on Sunday. So if you got sushi on Monday, it had been delivered on Saturday and they held it for two days. You ever, I don't know if you, if you ever knew that or heard that, right? Whether I didn't, I didn't know. I, I think I, I, I think I came of age during a much more dignified yes. sushi yes, time. Yes, you did. You did. So I was going to um, ask you, it's like, how is the sushi <laughs> pizza in Ukraine? How is it? I have never gotten food poisoning from sushi in Ukraine, as far as I know. That's a low bar, though. But like outside uh, of food poisoning, is it good? I mean, is the what is what what's the pizza like that's preferred? Is it New York no, style pizza, Chicago pizza, pizza? Yeah, it's New York style pizza. It's very, very good. I mean, the th- the fact of the matter is that as Europeans, Ukrainians have a much higher standard for food and kind of, you know, and, and the way it's presented than I'm sorry to say as an American. As than than do Americans, uh, you know. I mean, you can you can you can throw some online hate at me for saying this, but you know, um, like the fine dining establishments in Ukraine are top notch, uh, even during the war. I believe that. I be- that's what everyone says. I mean, I, I don't think you're eating Domino's over there. I mean, it's, it's well, look, it's 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 kind of really jarring, right? Because you can be on you know you can be on the front line in the morning and in the evening you can be having a cocktail at a really hip you know, bar in Kiev. It's mm-hmm. just um, like the, the, the difference between, you know, and this is where, this is where this is kind of in the theme of actually what I was saying before, right. Which is like this, this difference between those who are fighting, and those who are not, those who are not fighting. If they choose to ignore the news, if they choose not to, you know, volunteer on the front lines, they have a very disjointed view of what's actually happening in their own country. You can be very, very comfortable here. I mean, absent, you know, the occasional, um, explosions and, and that sort of thing. And, and of course, everyone knows someone who's, who's been killed or injured in, in the conflict. Um, but if you try, if you squint a little bit and you, you, you kind of, you kind of put your fingers in your ears, you can kind of almost imagine that there is no war happening. And Mm. a lot of people are opting for that. I think a lot of civilians are opting for that because it's so easy to do. And maybe as they're, they're so exhausted by thinking about this war, mm-hmm. as you may argue, they have every right to be, um, that, that they're kind of coping by pretending it's not happening. Um, Tim, everybody's getting ready for this you know, massive spring offensive, which may end up being the summer offensive, right? We know the commanders are going to decide when they're ready to go, and then they're going to go. And, and I think your um, counteroffensive uh, product is going to be something for everybody to look to. But if you were recommending to your friends, your family back home. You said, okay, like the big one's coming. Here's how I recommend you keep track of it. Um, obviously, yeah, that is, that is, obviously you're going to, you're going to subscribe. Obviously to the counter at a time where uh, you're, you're a guy who's been, <laughs> who's been prolific. You're a guy who's been prolific on Twitter. Twitter is becoming a cesspool of like crap right now. Right. And in the places we would go to and myself, I would often go to Twitter for first person accounts for on the ground journalism. It, it seems like Substacks from people like you and or you in particular are going to be a place to go. But if you were saying to Johnny or Jane American, Hey, here's where you can count on for good, uh, a good understanding of this counteroffensive that's to come outside of you, what would you recommend? Well, you know, in general, I think that there are, that, you know, I think the listeners of your podcast are going to be more kind of military technical minded. I think the Institute for the Study of War has done some amazing work on giving updates about where the battle lines are and what sort of signals to look for. Yeah. Um, you know, the the uh, the Washington Post and New York Times bureaus in, in Ukraine are also quite strong. 
Um, the Kiev Independent is a great place to look for uh, English language uh, news in Ukraine. And, uh, you know, I'm going to put in another plug for my Substack, the counteroffensive. Uh, you can find it at counteroffensive.news or uh, counteroffensive.substack.com. Uh, we're going to be just absolutely after it, um, covering the counteroffensive just as, started, as soon as it, as it happens. But, like, you know, we, we've been thinking about it not just about in the sense of this one campaign in the spring or summer. Um, this, you know, it's named after the, the counteroffensive, but it's also kind of a pushback. It's a counteroffensive against uh, Western apathy and cynicism and ignorance about what's happening in Eastern Europe and, and the rise of authoritarianism in Eastern Europe and in Asia. So I, I, I'm glad that you would read me. Um, I, I'm glad that you would read me, Paul, in uh, those various places, because I hope to be going to a lot of those other places too, to, to tell stories of, of humans that are pushing back against autocracy and mm. authoritarianism, right? That, that I think that, that empathy and human stories are toxic to autocracy, right? Mm. That, that they cannot coexist in the same world uh, at, at least the injustice of what's happening to individual people and humans who are affected by dictators, mm. um, those two cannot coexist in a just world. And, and, and if we're trying to push for a more just world, um, these human stories illuminate the injustice mm. uh, and push back against um, the, the, the foundations and the structures of a uh, dictatorship. I know, Tim, you're going to stick around for a couple extra questions for our Patreon members. Then we're going to let you get back to the work. And, and so far, we're not going to, we've been uninterrupted. I would just remind folks that even setting this up when you're in Ukraine is difficult. So I'm grateful for you in doing that, the way we're communicating to make sure you got a good Wi-Fi set up and things are going to be good to go. So I thank you for hanging with us. Tim, I think you're one of the most important voices anywhere right now. And I think the fact that you've chosen to focus on Ukraine um, is is significant, but I'm always going to be curious about your views on all things. And and I think as this time envelops where uh, develops where we're looking at autocracy rising around the globe, we're seeing political strife and division around the globe, especially in Western countries. I want to ask you a final question, which is, what does America look like from over there right now? You, you know, you were here a week ago, but I think your 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 viewpoint is so powerful. And your reflections are so astute when you're now that you're sitting there in your traditional garb, you know, without a dryer eating, you know, Ukrainian sushi and watching, you know, body bags come back. What does America look like to Tim from over there? I think it looks very uncertain and unstable. Um, um, I, I'm sure it feels uncertain and unstable from the United States as well. And, and let's let's be honest. I mean, America has gone through more difficult times and more unstable times and more uncertain and deadly times. Um, but right now, from the perspective of Europe, you have a lot of allies wondering what is happening exactly to America. Um, how how deep is the radicalism that we that seems to be appearing in America on left and right? How deep do those roots go? And are there you know is there a stable independent middle, much like many of the folks that you're talking to, is that stable independent middle the silent majority or you know, will, will the more radical voices win out? I mean, I, I know that a big concern in Europe is who wins the next presidential election or who controls the House and Senate. I know in Ukraine, it's a big issue of concern, even though some senior Ukrainian officials might not acknowledge it. I mean, they know that, for example, a Trump presidency would mean uh, the end to a lot of the aid that has been necessary to keep Ukraine's war effort going. 
um, or if not the end of the, of the aid, then a, a serious downsizing of it. Um, mm. So there's a lot of uncertainty, and there's a lot. There are a lot of questions of can we trust America as a partner in the long term? And I, and so I mean, I think your listeners, as you know, folks who are listening to a podcast about news and who are naturally curious about the world, I think you know it's, it's the responsibility of you and me and, and everyone else to uh, to ensure that our representatives, when America makes promises, follows through on those promises. Mm. Tim, you're an inspiration. Um, you're you're a powerful and trusted voice. I am uh, inspired by how often you've risen to the moment. And I think this this new chapter for you has got a lot of people excited because we've seen your work and we're uh, we're looking forward to what's to come. So I just want to thank you for your tenacity uh, and your patriotism and setting an example for what, especially you know, a veteran of our generation can be. Um, you're really doing important critical work. Everyone check out the counteroffensive. It'll be linked uh, in, in the show notes here. Uh, and I hope you'll come back soon. And next time, maybe we can do a, a taste test of, of, of uh, Ukrainian sushi and pizza and beer and whatever else you recommend. <laughs> but I hope you'll come back to the show often. Well, you know, I mean, uh, if, if conditions allow, Paul, we could do it live here from Kiev. Uh, we'll do a live episode from uh, and taste test together in person. I'm down. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. We'll put a pin yeah. and we'll come back to it. Ladies and gentlemen, the great and powerful Tim Mack, thank you for joining us. Uh, we're going to follow your work. Stay safe over there and stay vigilant, my friend. Thank you. This was a really important one. I want to thank Tim for making the time to talk to us from inside Ukraine. The helpers are out there, and Tim is among them. So be sure to check out his new media venture, The Counteroffensive with Tim Mock. He calls it a war correspondence open notebook, reporting live from inside Ukraine. He's already got over 15,000 subscribers, and you can find it at counteroffensive.substack.com. Or it'll be linked in the show notes, and we'll tweet about it. It'll be on the show website. He's had some really great stories recently, including talking to a drone pilot from his hospital bed about the worries he has about the counteroffensive. And he went inside the Kiev Zoo to explain what's actually happening to the animals and the people who are inside that zoo. He's got a, an incredible eye, and he's really helping us understand what's happening in Ukraine, what's happening in Europe, and what's happening in the world, and what's happening in the hearts of the people affected. Tim's changing the future of media and America, and he's truly a helper. Always look for the helpers. There, were, there will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. If you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. In the future, after you listen to this podcast, check the hashtag look for the helpers on Twitter and share yours. Look for the helpers. They are out there. They say the children are the future. And that's true. And we had a great story shared with us this week from my friend Perry Jeffries, First Sergeant Perry Jeffries down in Texas. Hello, First Sergeant. But he shared with us the story that came out of Alpena, Michigan, where a Michigan boy used a slingshot to save his sister from being abducted from her backyard. Yes, 
a Michigan girl was able to escape an attempted kidnapping when her brother used a slingshot to hit the would-be attacker. AP had the story. Michigan State Police arrested the accused assailant in the city of Alpena on Wednesday. And the police said in a news release that the 8-year-old girl was in her backyard when the alleged assailant came out of the woods, grabbed her, and covered her mouth. That's when the girl's brother, a 13-year-old, hit the alleged attacker in the head and the chest using a slingshot. Police ended up arresting the attacker. And when they did, they said he had visible wounds from the slingshot. Now, that is what being a helper looks like. One day it might be you, one day in the future it might be you, and it might be the children who are stepping up in the future to be our helpers. So in the meantime, please keep sharing your stories and posting them. Use the hashtag, look for the helpers, and while you're on social, join me and play Guess the Guest every Wednesday night where you have a chance to predict the future. You can predict who will be our next guest. Last week, nobody correctly predicted Michael Steele. Some of you did take some good shots. Shout out to Dave Medina, who is a husband, father of four beautiful girls, a Marine Corps veteran, born and raised in Chicago. He guessed Charlie Rose, which was incorrect, but I really appreciate you guessing, David. And a big shout out to you in Michigan. Watch out for people attacking and make sure you got your slingshot. And you don't have to have a crystal ball to predict the future and know that our friend Delfino Sanchez at Aldine Tree Services Houston Stump Grinding down in Texas made a guess. And this is, he said, hi, Paul. I'm guessing it's not Charles Barkley. Maybe next week? Could it be Anthony Mason? Seen here with friend of the pod, Stephen Colbert and Gail King. No, it was not Charles Barkley, who I would love to have on the show. It's not Anthony Mason either, uh, who is a great Knicks player that I would love to have on the show too. Uh, and he said he liked Pod 221 with Nick Troiano. He said it was full of five eyes. And he asked me, Lakers or Golden State? Well, that one's been decided. It's the Lakers. And he said, stay frosty, my friend. But thank you for playing guest to guest, Delfino. As always, next week I will share who guessed the guest and if anyone correctly or even incorrectly guessed Tim Mack. You can find out more at independentamericans.us, where you can also support this show by joining our exclusive and very vigilant Patreon community. Shout out to all of our Patreon members who continue to make this show possible. You are our most valuable sponsors, and you will get extra exclusive content with Tim Mack, where he will tell you about his first car, what he prefers to drink, and he will, of course, predict the future of waffles versus pancakes. Also, big shout out to a new patron, Marianne Taylor. Marianne, thank you for helping us build the future and build this independent movement. We appreciate you very much. If you want to go further into the future, every Thursday at 11 a.m., be sure to check me out in a new weekly segment on News Nation with Marnie Hughes. I will continue to focus on national security, vets, and political news. Last week, we talked about the border. We talked about Patriot missiles in Ukraine, and we will break down all the latest, and I will always post the previous episode on our website and in the show notes. Hit me up on all the social media platforms. Subscribe, share, and do all those things. Help us build the future. Share this podcast with a couple friends and help us continue to grow independent Americans. And while you're out there, if you see me on TV, you will likely see me with a swollen face, red eyes, a runny nose, and maybe more. Yes, the future is here. And that includes a special and somewhat painful time of year. Wow, Ty, do you have a cold? Uh, no, man, I just suffer from... Uh 
Yes, it's allergy season. And I look forward to the future when it is no longer allergy season, whenever that is. It feels like it's very, very far away. But yeah, it ain't fun. So I thank God for Claritin and Flonase and Afrin. And I feel bad for my kid, too. My older guy is really getting it. He woke up the other day, and his eye was completely swollen. He was like, Dad, uh, what's going on here? I was like, whoa, buddy, I think you have something going on. But he had allergies. So be sure to wash your hands and change your shirts because it is allergy season. And allergies aren't the only thing that made my eyes tear up this week because, unfortunately, my mighty New York Knicks have fallen. Well, it was really fun to have basketball in May in New York again. And the Knicks exceeded all predictions, but not very big New York expectations. We need another big-time player. And we totally got to reevaluate Julius Randle, who collapsed in the playoffs and just can't do that. But it was a very fun run. When the Knicks are in the playoffs and the weather's warming up and the courts and bars are buzzing, it's a very special thing to be in New York. Because the Knicks unify us. And despite all the other controversy and crime and the subway issues, It brings out the best of the energy, diversity, and pride of our great city. And it reminds the world what a true basketball epicenter New York is. And what an amazing and uniquely fun game basketball is. So, maybe I'll see y'all out in the courts this summer. We will have a lot to talk about. And while my eyes are watering from allergies and from my nicks, my eyes were also watering for another reason this weekend from gas and oil fumes and maybe some dirt. Yes, we went to Monster Jam this weekend for the first time since COVID, and it did not disappoint. If you've never been... I highly recommend it. It is still the greatest show on dirt. We saw Gravedigger. We saw Max D. We saw my favorite Megalodon. And we saw Bakugan Dragonoid and others. And whether you have kids or not, it is a really good time. So I encourage you to check it out. Now, Monster Jam is run by Feld Entertainment. The same folks who once ran the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. That is gone. And Monster Jam maybe the future and the future will be full of monster trucks and nba basketball and technology and allergies gotta be tricky finding something to eat allergies future will also be full of independence because independents are the future and we are not alone in our independence and while america is often more divided than ever we independent americans and righteous media are fighting to change it to add light to contrast the heat of all the other political shows and all the other political division so if you're among the now almost 50 percent of americans who are independent and especially if you're in colorado springs this is your show Our independent movement is the hope for the future. Country over party, people over politics, light over heat, disrupting the status quo and fueling a new movement that spans all across our country 
and has landed this week in Colorado Springs. So congratulations again to the newly elected mayor of Colorado Springs, Yemi Mobilati, and to all his supporters, all his voters, and to the folks who maybe didn't vote for him. Because I think this guy can help improve your future. Our independent movement is growing, and I hope you enjoyed this episode with Tim Mack. If you did, please share it far and wide, and share it with your future self, and invite others to join the future and declare their independence. And stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom, and hope is the oxygen of democracy, and it'll all help you stay vigilant. And know you're not alone in your vigilance, because we're all vigilant, and we're all in this together now and in the future. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraine. And stay vigilant, America. (coughs) I need some tissues. Powered by Righteous Media.